0: Good morning. Hey, If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 4 this morning. We are in kind of a standalone week, actually, because uh, last week we finished up our two weeks of stopping the spread. And then uh, this week we have, uh, we're going to look at the, the end of Acts 4. And then next week we're going to enter into our new series Uh, Entitled Clear Truths for a Confused World. If you are here today and you're responding to this mailer and you thought that this was the first week, we didn't trick you. Go back. It says October 23rd. Um, But we are so glad that you are here and you're joining us today. Get a little snapshot of who we are as a church. And then, of course, next week, we'll go right into uh, the series Clear Truth for a Confused World. What I want to do today is answer the question what does the Christian do in the midst or in the face of persecution? or after facing persecution. Now, another way uh, of asking that question would be this. What does the Christian do when they're uh, facing spiritual warfare or spiritual battle? There's a Bible verse that tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the the, the powers of this world, against the powers of darkness. In other words, there's a, a spiritual battle, or there's a battle underneath going on, even as we see the physical or the practical expressions of that battle. Uh, We see those with our eyes, or we feel them with our bodies, or whatever it might be, but there's a spiritual thing going on underneath. We've been calling that spiritual battle truth suppression over the last couple of uh, the last couple of weeks, and we see a lot of the physical manifestations, but it's a good reminder, uh, again, of the spiritual reality. What does the Christian do after facing persecution, or what does the Christian do in the midst of that spiritual battle? We're going to see the answer to that question here in our text in Acts chapter 4, and my hope is just to walk through that answer uh, so that we know as a church that how we move forward together as individuals, as families, and as a corporate body. A couple weeks ago, when uh, I told you that we were going to be doing this series, Clear Truth for a Confused World, uh, and then the last two weeks were kind of set up into that little uh, kind of snippets of what we're going to be talking about. I told you when we started uh, that the enemy was going to ramp up his attacks. Uh, see, when you start calling things what they are, uh, in other words, when you, when you poke the bear, the bear wakes up right? Uh, when you uh, tell and, and call the enemy what he is, a liar, right? Uh, when you uh, attack his power, he, he's not just going to take it lying down. Uh, the, the, the roaring lion, which is what the Satan is referred to, is going to roar, and he's going to try to scare, and he's going to try to um, get those who would tell the truth to shut up. And it is the job of the church Uh, to understand that the Lion of Judah is better than the Roaring Lion, more powerful than the Roaring Lion, okay? And I will say that three weeks ago when we talked about this, um, it has been true to form. And I I will say this, over the, the last week of ministry... Uh, like, and I literally mean a week from now till, you know, last Sunday, um, has been unlike any, I've, I've been a part of, uh, in, in 15 years, uh, that just things that are going on in people's lives, the phone calls that I got this week. And, uh, it is no surprise, right? That as we are being bold in truth, that the enemy is attempting to, uh, fight us. And uh, in the midst of that, we have to be more resolved than ever that we will not back down, that we will not sit down, that we will not shut up, and we will not let the enemy take what is his, not his to take. Okay. And part of uh, this morning is our response to that, and then part of tonight is that, by the way, is us just getting together as a, as a group of Christians and saying, hey, uh, we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate what Jesus is doing. And I know because of the last week that a lot of you, I heard from a lot of you, the things going on in your life. And so I just want you to know we're praying for you. Um, And I'm sure that if we've heard of a lot, that there's a lot that we also haven't heard. And so what a good time for us just to reconvene uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ to charge up for the battle that is ahead. And it is a battle. The enemies of darkness, or the enemy of darkness, uh, in darkness, does not want to give up his power. And, uh, and we have been strong, and we have been bold, and, and we're just going to keep on. And in Acts chapter 4, we see the biblical response. Uh, starting in verse 23, it says this. When they were released, the hear here is Peter and John. They, and they're released from prison because they're thrown into prison because they healed a guy in the name of Jesus. And it says, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. What's the first thing the Christian does uh, in, the, in the face of persecution? They go back to their friends. The NIV says they went to their own people, that their first response was, man, I've got to get back together with my people. It's kind of become common vernacular, hasn't it? Like, oh, those are my people, right? Or I'm just looking for a group of like-minded people. I'm looking for people that look at the world the same way that I look at the world. And uh, Redemption Church, we're going to turn six years old next year. It's like our sixth birthday anniversary. I don't know what you call it in church world, whatever that is. And over the last six years, uh, there are some things, that, uh, some traits that we have wanted to define us as a people. See, here is one of the lies uh, uh, of the enemy. Actually, you can see two of them right here. The first one is this, uh, that even having your people is somehow wrong. Having like your friends or the people who are like-minded who think like you do, like, oh, well, that's so uh, exclusive. What about everybody else? And then what ties into that is this false notion that Jesus came to earth to create a circle or a community of people that involved and included everybody regardless of what they believed. This is one of the lies that's being perpetuated right now, and unfortunately, um, the Jesus that is presented right now doesn't align with the Jesus that we find in the scriptures, and so we have to decide, are we going to follow the fake Jesus that has been presented or the real Jesus that actually existed in the scriptures, and by the way, at our church, we're going to follow the real one, okay, not the fake one. And the real Jesus, if his deepest desire and aim was to create a community that everybody, that just anyone and everyone was a part of, then that real Jesus wouldn't have said and done real things that he said and did. For instance, there was one time Jesus was teaching to thousands teaching to thousands. He's got them all there. And what Jesus does is he teaches this teaching that uh, the disciples look at him at the end and go, wow, that's a really hard one, Jesus. And he goes, yeah, you guys leaving too? They're like, no, we're going to stick around. They did, but thousands left. In other words, Jesus' strategy was never to teach something that was so vanilla, right? So low common denominator that anyone and everyone would just hop on and go, yeah, I'll be a part of that. No, instead, what did Jesus do? Jesus set out a gospel, a gospel that is confrontational to the way that humans look at the world because of our innate sin. And Jesus came to create a community of people who believed in him as the redemption from that sin and would obey his commands. The call to Christian community, the call to friendship in this way, or the call to be a part of those people is a call to to surrender, like we just sang about our lives, to die to sell, and then to enter into this community that Paul writes at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. He writes out, he says, I'm writing to everyone who will what? Who will be obedient to the faith. Not just anyone who would kind of say, oh, yeah, no, uh, that that Christianity, that sounds good. Or, oh, morality, that's a good thing. No, no, no. He he was writing to all of those who would surrender and submit and become obedient to the faith. And that group of people, that becomes the friends here in Acts chapter 4. That becomes our people. And at Redemption, we want to be those people. We want to be the people who are willing to uh, that surrender our lives and that join into the circle of God's community, right, uh, because we want to be obedient to Jesus. Now, a couple of traits I would say uh, that have defined that over the years. Um, one of them uh, would be uh, from the beginning, and I, we're doing a lot of social media ads right now. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but um, one of the responses we get when people respond to those ads is, hey, what kind of church are you? And, uh, you know, it's an interesting question because 10 years ago, they would have been asking, like, are you like a, like a modern church, a traditional church, you're like a seeker sensitive church? Uh, you know, basically, they're like, are there guitars or what, right? Nowadays, that's not the question. When people say, hey, what kind of church are you? Here's what they're wondering Do you believe the Bible? That's what they're wondering. And so when somebody asks me what kind of church we are, I simply reply to them, um, we believe the Bible. That the kind of people that we want to be and the the group that we're creating here is one who is going to be fiercely committed to the truths of Scripture. We're going to believe the Bible from the first page to the last page, from the first word to the last word and everything that is in between. That's all we have. We have the Scriptures. And we believe it. And sadly, more and more, I see things. Uh, whether they're denominations or they're even famous podcasts that used to be really good, helping people understand the Scriptures, and now they don't even believe in the Bible anymore. And, uh, and it's sad and tragic how uh, these, these people who have position or places that used to be uh, standing on the authority of Scripture no longer do, uh, and so that's why we said we're going to believe the Bible, we're going to believe it all the way through. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this, you know, you can believe the Bible and just hide out and seclude, Right? Like, yeah, we believe the Bible, but we just want to push everyone away. We want to isolate ourselves. Well, we're not just going to be a church that believes the Bible. We're going to be a church that believes the Bible, but that will also boldly stand for the truth of Scripture. How bold? Well, so bold that we're going to mail to 43,000 people, don't worry, everything is fine. Satan. Okay? And I know, how many of you got your mailer? Okay? If you didn't get the mailer, it's not because we don't like like you. It's just because you're not in the zone, all right, where we sent them all out. Actually, one of you sent me a picture of your mailer, and you're like, this was awesome. I was reading it, but I didn't know who Stan was and why he was so mad, okay? So, it wasn't a typo. That person just couldn't read in the moment, okay? Um, I'm sure there are some mad Stans out there, but our point it was that, that Satan, uh, uh, the, the, how both, that we're going to tell 43,000 people, uh, Satan wants you to believe that everything is fine and everything's not fine. It's not fine. In fact, every week I get, uh, I, uh, people send me things telling me about how not fine it is. Maybe you've seen some of these. Virginia State lawmaker introduces Bill making it a crime for parents not to affirm their LGBT child. A crime. A crime. Green light for polygamy. New York judge rules, the time has arrived. Okay? These are just a couple of indicators of things going on in our world that is certainly that are certainly not fine. And the enemy, okay, uh, wants us to believe everything's fine, don't worry about it. In other words, Satan's like, hey, I'll go ahead and ru- uh, rule the world and ruin it. Church, I need you to just fall asleep and pretend like I'm not up to anything over here. Okay? The other day, it was really windy. Did anyone wake up in the middle of the night the other day when it was super windy out, okay? Um, I woke up to the sound of a massive crash, okay? And it was one of those sounds where I'm like, okay, something just broke, or there's someone downstairs, okay? And this was like, I was like, okay, what do I do, (laughs) right? Like, do I go check it? Okay. This was, I think it was when, it was Thursday night. It's like, do I go check it? Do I just stay up here? Do I stand at the steps and see if anyone walks up and then jump on them and beat them with Reagan's, you know, stuffed animals? Like, that's like the only weapon we have in the house. I I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Okay. (laughs) Other than the guns, right? Okay. Um, So I'm like sitting there having this like complex moment. And then I like walk into the room to see if there's anything that I could go with downstairs. And as I'm doing that, guess what happens? No, she was sleeping. Okay, what happens is Reagan walks downstairs. Reagan walks down the stairs, and I'm up there like, well, now I have no option. Because if there's somebody down there, I better go down there, and I better fight for my children. When the world are attacking your children, you don't have the option to stand upstairs anymore, get down, and get in the fight. And that's what's happening right now. And you know what? There were certain things going on where where I think even the church a little bit was like, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Now you're coming after my kids. Not fine anymore. Not fine anymore. And that's where we're at right now. That's where we're at. Now, I don't even know how I got there. Okay. Oh, we're going to be bold in the truth of the scriptures. And guess what? Sometimes when you're bold in the truth of the scriptures, um, people tell you when they don't like it. (laughs) So we got this Facebook message this week. I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to start off by saying this. Miss Jackson, um, if you're watching, I want you to know we love you. You are always welcome to join us at Redemption Church. Um, In fact, if it's your first time, we have a gift for you, and uh, if there's anything going on in your life we can pray about for you, let us know, and uh, if there's anything we can do for you, give you, provide for you, you let us know too, because we love you, okay? Um, But this was her message to us on Facebook. This is all caps, by the way, okay? How dare you? Send this racist, bigoted, ignorant, hurtful propaganda to households. So I reread it, and I was like, wait, what is racist? Okay, I couldn't find that one. If anyone else can find it, please let me know, okay? Then I le- kept reading, and I was like, bigoted. I wonder what the definition of bigoted is. So I looked it up, I thought, I want to know if I am bigoted. So here's what bigoted means. Obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief opinion, or faction. Let me read it again. Obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or faction. And I thought to myself, I might actually be bigoted because I am unreasonably attached to something, okay, to a belief. Okay. Now, I don't actually think it's unreasonable because unreasonable means that there's no like basis for it, and I have an unbelievable basis for what I believe, but that's okay. We'll skip by that for a second because the point is this. I am unbelievably attached to my belief that this book is accurate, it is true, and it is the only hope for a dying world, and I will be bigoted. It bigoted means that I'm going to tell a bunch of people who believe false lies that they're believing something that will enslave them on this earth and send them to hell for eternity. Okay? And so a bigoted is just an attempt to get me to shut up. It's not going to work. Okay, moving on. How dare you send this hurtful, bigoted, ignorant propaganda to households? And I was like, propaganda? I didn't look it up, but I do want you to show up if you got it. So maybe it is. I don't know. Okay, let's continue. You are not Christ-like in any way. It is people and organizations like you driving people away from religion. You are a cult out to control and hurt people for your own greed and power. Ma'am, you should see my W-2, okay? (laughs) Like, if that's the point, I am failing miserably, (laughs) okay? (laughs) You are Satan. You are doing Satan's work. Now, I will say this. I have read a little bit about Satan. It's in the book a lot. And what I have read about him is that he does not want hope, freedom, love, and grace for every single person on this earth. And here we do. And that is not Satan's work. That is not Satan's work. What it should have said is, what it should have said is, you are attacking Satan, and he's mad about it. And we're going to keep doing it, Okay? So that's what we mean by bold. We're just going to keep on being bold because we believe what we believe. We actually believe it. And I would have to surmise that the people who aren't bold, it's because they just don't actually believe it. They don't actually believe it. Like last week when I walked through uh, that little handout and I said, hey, at the, at the beginning, these are the world's distortions. And at the bottom, there are uh, uh, the, uh, the biblical truth. And if you didn't get this, you can grab one on your way out. Okay? Um, that uh, the, the only reason to not be bold is because you don't believe that Satan's distortions are actually harmful for people. And I just do. I just do believe that God who created the heavens and the earth knows more about how the earth should function, okay, than some person uh, who who was elected to an office or uh, who was positioned somewhere or who read one book or who did something and all of a sudden can spout off and say, well, no, this is how it all works. Okay, where were you when God created the heavens and the earth? Who are you to tell him what is right? And we just believe enough that these lies and distortions are exactly that, lies and distortions, and that it is our job to boldly proclaim the truth. Now, listen, third thing, third thing we have to be, though, is this, because we're going to be bold, right? We're going to believe the Bible. We're going to be bold about it. But the third thing, our people, us, we, we people, we friends, okay, if you're going to be a part of this, what we're signing up for is this trait, and we write it on the wall because we believe it so much that everyone is invited to experience redemption. Ms. Ms. Jackson? Anyone else, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your life has looked like. I don't care what you have believed. I don't care what has occurred in your past. The moment you walk in to these doors, we love you. And we want you to experience the life-transforming power of the gospel. And we will forgive. If something needs to be forgiven, we will whatever, but we will embrace. And friends, we must always be a church that no matter who walks in, no matter what they have done, we embrace them and we point them to Jesus. Okay? Yes. And we have to be reminded in these times, it is not us versus them, it is us for them. It is us for them. It, it, it is us saying, I will lay down my life. Remember when Paul wrote, I wish I, Paul wrote basically, like, I wish I would, I would die that they might live. Right? That we would lay down our lives so that others would come to Christ. Now, you might say, well, then, Stephen, sometimes your rhetoric, it sounds a little angry. Well, it doesn't sound angry. I am angry. <laughs> and in our anger, do not sin. But I will say this. If you're not angry at all, it's because you're not paying attention. It's because you're not paying attention. If the stories that I just told you, and this was just in the last week, okay? I've got a whole list of them because I asked people, send me your stories of ridiculous things going on in our world. Okay, and there are some people like, man, that's like their hobby, (laughs) so I get them, right? Like, I don't know where you find this stuff. You are deep, okay? Let me pull you out. Actually, sadly, you don't even have to go that deep anymore, right? You just turn on anything. I mean, what, what, what used to be almost like you would keep in secret or quiet, we're so emboldened now, we don't even keep it in secret or quiet anymore. That's how much the enemy's winning. And guess what? That should make you angry, Christian. Okay? And Now, in our anger, do not sin. Right? In our anger, do not sin. But I've said this before. The woke church would have canceled Jesus the moment he walked into the temple and started flipping over tables. The woke church would have canceled Jesus when he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I will sit on judgment. The woke church would have canceled Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? And where the woke church wants to cancel Jesus, you and I must elevate and exalt that same Jesus. Because that is the only Jesus that brings salvation. It is the only Jesus who brings redemption. And if we truly love them, then we will not allow our Jesus to be changed. We will proclaim him boldly. We will proclaim him boldly. And we will realize that everyone is invited to experience him and to be changed by him. And then to come into the family and to come into the friend circle, and to, and, and to be our people. So that's the first thing, okay? It's the first thing we see here in the text. It says they, they got together, they reported, okay? Right, and so there's a part of Sunday morning, it's like, it's me reporting to you, here's what's going on. Secondly, verse 24, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They prayed, and they said, Sovereign Lord, For truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I like that uh, the, the author here, Luke, he's taking everybody. He's like, okay, there was Herod, there was Pilate, there was the Gentiles, there were the Jews, there were the relig- He's like, everybody was against Jesus okay? And he didn't leave anyone out here. He's going to bring them all up. But they're going to pray, and there's four things that we see in their prayer, and these are four things that we should see in our prayer when we do get back together. All right, here was the first thing. How did they start the prayer? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, right, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, this is quoting a psalm, a psalm that was written a couple hundred years after Genesis, and a psalm that was written hundreds of years before this particular moment in time. But what's going on here? What is the author doing? He is affirming the Old Testament scriptures. He's going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 1. We have done this at a church as a church. That's why uh, it, last year, during this time, we did a series called Satan Age Genesis 1, because it was said, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go back to the basics and we have to remind ourselves about the God who created the universe. See, what is at stake here is the question, who do you say God is? Who do you say God is? Is God the God of the scriptures or are you God? Because those are the only two options. And in their prayer, what they're doing is they're reminding themselves, you are sovereign Lord. And here's what happens sometimes. People want to pray to a sovereign Lord, but they want to upend his sovereignty by thinking that they know better about certain things. So they want to say, oh, sovereign Lord, it's good. You can be sovereign when I need your help. But as it relates to men, women, marriage, family, and society, let me be sovereign. Oh, sovereign Lord, I know you're the one who created everything, but I have my opinion on what is right or wrong. So let me be sovereign when we decide what is uh, appropriate sexually. Let me be sovereign when we decide about marriage. Let me be sovereign when we decide about what the world and family should look like. No, no, no. The church started with reminding themselves of the sovereignty of God. And I can tell you that the heart underneath the series that we're going to kick off next week is we're going to go back to the beginning. We almost called this Satan Hates Genesis too, but then somebody was like, you're going to do this for 50 years? Okay, there's 50 chapters in Genesis. And I was like, no. Okay. So we called it what we're calling it, right? And, uh, but the point is to go back to the beginning, right? To go back to the beginning and to lay out what did God has say is true about the world. And here's what's interesting. Sometimes, what we, well the world wants to embrace part of him, but they don't want to make him sovereign. Let, let, me, let me say this another way. Okay, you know how J.K. Rowling got canceled? Have you heard about this? Okay, J.K. Rowling, she wrote Harry Potter. She's a billionaire, okay, many times over. And she got canceled, right, because she won't give in to all of the crazy ideology. Okay, she's like, I've given in to a lot of it, but not all of it, but she still got canceled. Here's what's interesting. They had a party, a, a Harry Potter party, Okay, and all of the cast got together and had a party. And guess who they didn't invite? J.K. Rowling. She wrote the book. None of you exist unless she wrote the book. Daniel Radcliffe, no one knows who you are unless you have glasses and you're Harry Potter. No one cares unless she wrote The book. You can't cancel God. He wrote the book. None of us exist. None of this exists. You can't have a party and not invite God. He wrote the book. And what the world wants to do right now is say, okay, thank you for writing us all into existence, but we'll take it from here. We'll take it from here. Can't do that. He wrote the book. He knows what it's like. He knows what is right and wrong. He was so adamant about us knowing what is right and wrong that he wrote this entire book to tell us. And all we have to do is read it and understand How does the world function? How is it supposed to function? How did the sovereign Lord want it to function? How did the sovereign Lord want it to function as it relates to men, women, family, marriage, and society? It's all in the book. And so we're going to talk about it starting next week. It's all in the book. And so we're going to pray. And when we pray, we're going to pray to the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Okay? Everything on this word. Okay, now, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing we're going to do when we pray. We're going to acknowledge the sovereignty of our God. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people spot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The second thing they're going to do is what? They're going to pray understanding reality. He's saying, uh, in their prayer, they're saying, okay, God, we know that the rulers of this world, they're against you. They're not very happy. They're set against you. This isn't passive. It's not like there's just like uh, this side and that side, and everyone's just kind of like lazy rivering it, doing their own thing. No, they are actively against you. And so they 're praying, understanding reality, and my friends, when we pray right now, we need to pray understanding reality. We need to pray, understanding that there is an enemy that there are that there is a ruler of this world, and then there are his minions who are working against Christ and his anointed. This is the reality that, that darkness is not passive here, darkness is active, and darkness is working, and darkness is moving. And we need to pray understanding the reality of the situation. That's the second thing we see in here. Here's the third thing we see in here. This one is actually kind of like the most personally, I think, convicting. It says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. What were their threats? Well, they just thrown them in prison. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said, this is how truth suppression works. First, truth suppression, they're just annoyed by truth. Then they arrest you because of that truth. Then they assassinate you because of that truth. And I said, hey, you know what, right now, uh, I, the first week I said, our country right now we're somewhere between arrest, uh, uh, no, sorry, so, sorry, somewhere between annoy and arrest. And then I said, okay, actually, maybe we're more in like the arrest zone. Okay. Uh, and, and, and in that, these guys, they were in full-on arrest zone and in two chapters, they're going to be in assassinate zone. And their prayer is this, look upon their threats. It, it is a defensive prayer. Saying, hey, they're coming after us, but notice this, they don't whine about their persecution, they don't complain about their persecution, they just pray Uh, uh, about the persecution, and they say, God, you take care of it. You take care of it. That was their defensive strategy. God, you take care of it. And there's something for us to learn in this, Christian, okay? That maybe sometimes we need to just, we need to stop um, some rhetoric. We need to stop some level of complaining or whining or whatever it might be, okay? I'm not saying we don't stand for things all of that kind of, you guys know what I mean, okay? Um, But we also just got to get to a place where we trust God. Lord, look upon their threats. And look, here's what's interesting, okay? Um, God clearly answers their prayer, look upon their threats, but you know what happens two chapters later? Some of them start getting killed. Sometimes God answers your prayer, but he doesn't answer it exactly the way that you would want him to answer it. But it doesn't change that he's still sovereign and in control. And so there's a part of our prayer as a church is to be, okay, God, we see the world that is out there, but I'm not going to stand up here. I'm not going to pray against this person. I'm not going to pray for you to spite or kill that person, okay? What I'm going to do, Lord, I'm going to tell you, you look upon their threats, Lord. You protect me. You protect your church. You protect uh, these things, God, um, uh, and I'm going to trust you with the results of that. That was the third part of their prayer. Here's the fourth part of their prayer. They're going to turn it into offense, and I love that. He says this, he said, Lord, look upon their threats and this, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I mean, just to recap real quick, these guys are out here. All they do one day, they're walking along, right? They heal a man, and then they heal the man in the name of Jesus. And then the powers that be are angry that they healed the man in the name of Jesus because it's going to subvert their authority and power. And so they run up to the guys who healed the man. All they did is help somebody, right? And they say, you're going to now go in prison because you're helping people. And then now they're released, right? And they get back together, and they're praying. And then at the very end of their prayer, they're going to say, okay, now let's get back out there. What an attitude of the church. That at the end, after all of the threats are coming and after all of it is going to happen, they're going to say, let's get back out there. And let's get back out there with the same level of boldness that we have had before and you would ask yourself the question what could motivate them to to go out and to continue to proclaim I think two things motivated them one was they were like we're going to be obedient because Jesus told us to go do this and if Jesus told me to do it I'm going to go do it but i think that the other thing because they spent time with Jesus and they knew that the other thing that motivated them was this that on the other end of our proclamation are people who need to hear this are people who need to be set free are people who need to know the beauty of the gospel and that jesus came that they may have life and that they may have it to the fullness and so we can't shy away we've got to be just as bold as we've ever been let's get back out there okay and that was that was their thought that's what they like okay all right we're gonna get together we're getting okay and they're like oh man i got out of prison what am i gonna do okay i gotta get to my friends i gotta get to my people And I hope this is how you feel every week, okay? You're like, I just got to get to Sunday. I got to get to Sunday. Now, you should have your people and your friends throughout the week, too. But, right, this is the big one, right? I got to get to Sunday. I'm going to get to Sunday. Okay, we're going to get to Sunday. We're going to acknowledge God's goodness and sovereignty again over the whole world, right? Uh, We're going to understand the reality of what's going on. But then we're going to get charged up, and we're going to go back out there. And, my friends, I'm asking you guys this week to be bold. To be bold uh, as we get closer uh, to kicking off this series. Uh, We've been trying to be bold, right? In our sermons, we've been trying to be bold, right? We've been trying to be um, uh, bold in our advertising and all of that kind of stuff. And now it's your turn uh, as an individual. And I don't know what boldness looks like for you. Maybe it is just grabbing uh, these or uh, this one right here that has all these truths on the back and handing it out to somebody, right? Maybe boldness for you looks like um, just, there's a link, experienceredemption.com slash truth. Texting that to somebody and being like, I know You've been looking for something. I know you know the world is messed up, and you need to come join me. I know you need to get back into church, uh, and I'm coming next Sunday, and I need you to come uh, with me, and that might be your boldness. Or maybe your boldness is you're going to grab your phone. Okay, some of you, you don't know how to do this, so ask somebody under 50, right? And you're going to grab your phone, and you're going to turn it around, and you're going to take a selfie video. Some of you, I would love to see you take a selfie video. Okay, this would be great. And you're just going to say, you know what? The world, sometimes it kind of seems messed up. But God actually has a plan, and it's a beautiful plan. And I want you to come to my church this Sunday. I'll sit with you. I'll even buy you lunch afterwards, and you're going to post it. And you're going to be bold because people need it. See, what was driving the disciples was not just obedience. It was a heart that they had for people. And what we always must remember is that we believe what we believe, and we do what we do, and we are bold And how we are bold because we care about people. Because we love the person on the other side. Because we refuse to give in to the lie that somehow sitting down and shutting up on the truth is loving. That we refuse to be told uh, by the world uh, that the church's job uh, is just to stick to itself, right? And to let Satan have his free reign and enslave people. But we remember that our job is commissioned by Christ to go and to bring the gospel to the world. And to be bold in it. Here's what happens after their prayer, by the way. They end their prayer like this. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they saying? God, we're going to do our part, but we know in the end, you're the only one who can bring healing, redemption, and salvation. And so my prayer over the next week is this, God, uh, as we send out mailers, as we invite, as we do our things, Lord, you are the only one who can heal anyone. You are the only one who can bring this salvation uh, and to change somebody's life or to change somebody's marriage or to change somebody's perspective. And so Jesus, we'll do our part. You do your part, please. That was their prayer. And when they had prayed, look how God responds. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, the powers of this world had a plan, and their plan was this. Let's throw these guys in prison, and let's tell them to shut up, and if, uh, if we do that, then we'll stop this thing before it gets going. Now, I can tell you something about the enemy's plan. It often doesn't work. See... A couple of months earlier, Satan had another plan, and his plan was, why don't we put this guy Jesus on a cross and kill him, and this whole thing will stop. Bad news for Satan. Three days later, he rose from the grave, okay? And here, their plan was this. Why don't we throw these guys in prison, tell them to no longer proclaim uh, the name of Jesus, and this whole thing will stop. But instead what they did is they ran around to their people who believed in the scriptures and the power of a sovereign God. And that group got together and they started to pray. And God affirmed their prayer by shaking the room. And they went out and revival began to spread. Now this weekend as I was thinking this week, about, about where we're at right now, where we're at as a church, where we're at as a country, where we're at maybe as the church in our nation. I was thinking about um, other times, right? And we've all heard famous speeches, like, like in the course of human events, and uh, there are certain times in history and all of these moments where, these, uh, uh, where there are these pinnacle uh, or pivotal moments in history uh, where, where, where things change directions. And I was thinking of a biblical example of that. There's a biblical character in the Old Testament character, but she's a real person. Her name is Esther. And Esther is uh, a queen, and she is a queen to the king of Persia, Xerxes, who is the most powerful man in the world. And there have been many sermons preached, I've preached some of them, about how Esther is a picture or a figure of Christ. And that is true. In fact, most of the Old Testament uh, characters, what they are is they're just pictures of Jesus Right? And when we understand Him better, we understand Jesus better. And Esther is this beautiful picture of Jesus. But as I was uh, thinking about it this week, I also realized this that Esther is not just a picture of Jesus, Esther is a picture of something else. Esther is a picture of the church. See, Esther is the bride of the king, and the church is called the bride of Christ. And Esther uh, existed in this environment where uh, the, uh, the, the powers that be uh, of that day, a man by the name of Haman, uh, who was instructed by his father, the devil, uh, to take out wrath and vengeance against the children and the people of God, came up with a plan. And the plan was the destruction of God's people. And the destruction of God's people then was signed into law, and it was an inevitable course of history. It was going to happen, and it would have happened. And however many thousands of years later, we would still talk about the annihilation or an original Holocaust of how the Jewish people were wiped out or taken close to decimation by the Persians. And all of that would have existed and it would have happened. But one individual by the name of Mordecai came up to Esther and said, Esther, you have been put in the spot that you're in right now for such a time as this. You have a positional relationship with the king of the world uh, as as he knew the most powerful man. You have positional relationship with that king. And Esther, if you don't right now, in this season, in this moment, if you don't exercise the authority of your positional relationship, then your people will die. They will face the wrath of the enemy who has put his plan into motion. And it will happen unless, Esther, unless you do something. And Esther, as the, the bride of the king, okay, uh, she could have sat in her seclusion. She could have sat in the comfort of the throne, right, and sat under the protection of the king. She could have been saved. She could have sat there. She could have let it all happen, saying, oh, I'm not the right person. Oh, I can't do this. Well, I don't want to mess up what I have. You should see how good things are right now. I don't want to stand up. Y'all need to fend for yourselves. And that's what she could have done. But one person stands up and says, you've got to do something to save us. Esther, you've got to do something to help us or we're done. And Esther turns around and she says, This is what I want you to do. I want you to gather all of our like-minded people, and I want you all to start praying, and if you will do that, then I will go approach the throne. Then I'll leverage the spot that I have and the positional authority, even though it may cost me my life, I'll go leverage it on your benefit. And Esther walks in, and she approaches the king, uh, and she is winsome, and she uh, uh, is lovely in how she does it, and she's brilliant in how she does it. And what she does is she gets the king. She alerts the king to what's going on. And and I know the metaphor will break down a little bit, but she she tells the king, this is what's happening. Satan has got a plan, and he's running it in place, and he's about to destroy. Esther says, he's about to destroy my people. uh, And king, I need you to do something. And Esther 9.1, which is one of my favorite verses, says this, now in the 12th month. Which is the month of Adar on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred, and the enemies gained the mastery over those who hated them. See, the king's edict then was that, and not that there was a ceasefire. The king's edict was that the people of God would stand up and fight. That they could now defend their position and they were given a legal right to fight back. Let me draw some metaphors for you and some comparisons if I can for a second. Esther is a picture of the church. And as the church, we could sit back right now. We could sit back in our salvation. We could sit back in the comfort of the community and the friendship and the nice little place that we have right here. And we could have our truth and we could sit down and we could encourage each other and we could pray part one, sovereign king. We could pray part two, the reality of the world. We could pray part three, right? But unless we get to part four, we're not praying as that church prayed. It's part four then that says, and send us back out with boldness. It is part four that says the church, like Esther, at this time, right now, at this point in human history, in the history of our church, must step out of its comfort and must stand up because the world, even if they don't know it, are saying, will somebody do something? And the church must say, we have a positional authority next to the one who is sitting on on the throne and we will leverage our very selves and the authority that has been granted to us by the king for your benefit which means this, we will take this truth of this gospel to the world regardless of what Satan, regardless of what the enemy throws at us because we will leverage who we are and what we have been given for the good of the world that is under his sentence. That is the call And the mission that we have been given, and I'm telling you right now in the course of where we're at right now in this world, that what sits before us five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we will see one of two things happen. One, many of us will sit in churches five, 10, 20 years, 30 years from now, our shrunken churches. And we will look around and we will say, what? happened. What happened? Where did the truth go? Where did the people who used to sit next to me go? Where did that last generation go? And churches will die. Tyranny will reign. And we will live in a culture that does not embrace, accept, or proclaim in any way whatsoever the gospel anymore. And if you don't believe this, look around the world. And we will go, what happened? Or, or five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we will sit in full churches and we will look back and say, do you remember when the church stood up, when people began to fight back, when the gospel began to break out and revival was on the move and we're still sitting here five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, living off of the church standing up right now. Now is the time. It is the time. So I'm asking you to stand with us, to be bold, to pray and understand the reality of what is going on. And it's not just a ceasefire because the enemy is not going to stop. But we have been given weapons of war. And our weapons are not sword and spear. Our weapons are the sword of this word and the spirit of the living God that rests in each and every one of us. And if we do this, a new shaking will begin. And I am praying that God does not just shake this room, this building, and us, but that He shakes our city, and He shakes our country. Let's pray. Father, I imagine that there was a lot of fear in Esther. Maybe she even thought for a second, Mordecai, you're crazy. Y'all are going to be fine. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to see through. Help us to see the reality of the situation. The forces of darkness on the move. The way that we continue to walk down paths that five years ago we would have thought unimaginable and are now mainstream. And Father, I pray that you would wake up your church here, across our city, and across this country. And Father, we are but one. We are but one. And I know that there are many others, though. And so we pray for them. And Father, I pray because I know there is one spirit that you are working similar things all across our city, state, and country right now. And I pray that you would be on the move that we as followers of Christ would walk in one accord, beating back the darkness of the enemy and watching the captives be set free. The Jews thought it was irreversible, Lord. In the same way we could think it's irreversible so that certain things have settled in that'll never be disrupted, but you are the God of reversal. And so I am asking, we are asking, your church is asking, embolden us, embolden us, embolden us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.